Hi there, this is the Rev. Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. I suspect that for most of us, an awareness of God's presence, power, and love is something that was first taught, shown, nurtured, and continually reinforced for us by others who also lived out of that same awareness. People like our parents, grandparents, family members, friends, and so many others who, by their very lives, provided us with a true legacy of faith. It's a wonderful gift, a legacy that we're also called to pass on to others, which makes it all the more important that each of us are always rekindling the flame of our own faith. That's actually the title of today's message, which is based on the first chapter of 2 Timothy, verses 1 through 14, and also the parable of the mustard seed from Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. And this begins with another story, one of my favorites actually, about one of the legacies that I've received in my life. It does not seem to matter much what I am doing or where I happen to be, but every year, just about this time, when the leaves start to turn and there is some cool, crisp autumn weather and even colder nights, it all comes flooding back to me. The memories of a little hunting camp out in the back of the woods of Aroostook County, Maine, and more specifically, of all the times I spent there with my father when I was growing up. Now, understand that this is a different place than the lake camp that I speak of so often. This was just a simple little cabin that my dad and a couple of his friends built as a place for hunting in the fall, snowmobiling in the winter, little trout fishing in the summer, or sometimes just as a place to go on a Friday evening so that we could put on a pot of oyster stew, which, by the way, back in the day was the Lowry family meal, and then kind of bunk in for the night. This was my dad's place of retreat and relaxation. And, and over the many days and nights we spent there, especially this time of year, it became mine too. Now, there are actually a hundred stories I could tell you about this little hunting camp, and probably will sooner or later, but... But I have to say that of all the things I remember about that little camp, the one I remember most fondly is how quickly and incredibly cold it could get in that camp on those autumn and winter nights up in Maine. Now, mind you, friends, it wasn't so much the cold itself that I remember, although got to say, I learned the value of Geelong Johns and wool socks early on in my life. But rather, what I remember is the way that my father handled the cold. What I remember as a kid, and it's just as clear to me as if it was just today, I remember waking up in the wee hours of the morning, looking down from my bunk. We had a couple of bunks in the back of the cabin there, and and I would see my father quietly stoking the fire in this old clarion wood cook stove that we had in there. All these years later, I still see him there, lifting up the iron covers off the top of the wood stove, 
poking around the ashes, stirring up the coals to see if there was any life left to them. Almost always there'd be a few embers. So then he'd throw some cedar kindling in the stove, maybe a piece of hardwood or two. And then he'd put the cover back on, opening up the draft just a little bit to get the fire going. But the best part was that after all of this, instead of going right back to bed, Dad would almost always just sit there around this little table we had and just sit there in the dim light of the kerosene lanterns. He, he might uh, put a kettle on for a cup of coffee and he'd probably smoke his pipe because that's, that's what he did in those days. But mostly he'd just sit. And I'd see him there pondering life and enjoying the quiet rumble, the snaps and cracks of the wood stove coming to life. I mean, it's just a small thing, right? I know, just something that my dad did, but I gotta tell you something. As I would lie up there in that top bunk and drift back to sleep, I took incredible comfort in it. It was like, it was like everything was all right in the world. And I could go to sleep and not have to worry about a thing. Now, of course, I've come to realize over the years that what my father was doing was that which his father had taught him. What he learned in the days on the farm two generations ago when my grandparents readied their children for a new day. I understand, in those days, again, up in the county, tending fires was no small skill. There's a story in our family about how one of Dad's sisters was born on the farm during the dead of the winter. And it was so cold on the day she was born that they had to wrap this newborn baby up in blankets, put the baby in a wooden box, and set the box near to the wood stove so to keep the infant warm. So it was vitally important, you see, to keep that fire burning steadily and strong through this cold night. That was something my father learned, and in ways subtle and direct, that was what my father was teaching me. Ultimately, you see, this business of getting a fire going in the middle of the night is, was more than just a skill. It was more than just the preservation of heritage or the keeping of tradition. In the end, it was kind of a caretaking, if you will was guarding something that, while often a bit intangible, was nonetheless always very valuable. Something precious for the next generation to receive as their own. It's loving someone in such a way that they too will learn to love and to care. Now, I can't fully explain this all to you. All I know is that even now, that's the kind of husband and father I want to be. It's the kind of pastor and Christian man I at least aspire to be in my life. And to tell the truth, it's kind of been the way I've always perceived God to be. I want, you see, to be someone who tends the fire on cold autumn nights, because in just about every way you can name, that's what's been done for me. Remember, Paul said to Timothy, 
in our text for this morning. The gift of God that is within you, a faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, now I am sure lives in you. Remember, he said, to keep rekindling that gift of faith inside of you, fanning it into flame, as the New International Version of Scripture puts it, so that it always will be burning, uh, burning warm and bright. Remember to speak it and, and act it and live it so that your faith might be seen by all those around you. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardness, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. You know, one of the things we talk about so much in the church is this notion of living a life in Christ. But what does that really mean, anyway? I mean, certainly there are many aspects to a person's life lived in Christ Jesus, the tenets, if you will, of the Christian experience that play into this, things like compassion, forgiveness, spirituality and prayerfulness, doing good, as we said to the children today. It's about the, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And as Paul admonishes Timothy in, in, in the reading that Sarah read for us today, it's holding on to the standard of sound teaching. All this considered, however, I would suggest to you this morning that in the end, a life in Christ actually comes down to something very, very basic in a person's life. Eric Frost has said it very well. A life in Christ, he writes, is the Christian's awareness of the grace of God at work in his or her life. In other words, as life unfolds in its wondrous and mysterious and often challenging way, what's at the forefront of one's heart and mind is not luck, or any sense of accomplishment on our part. But rather what's there is an awareness of God's own purpose, God's grace, proof that God regularly enters our lives with all the resources of his love and power. And you know what the thing is, for most of us, that awareness of God's own purpose and grace is something that was taught to us that was shown to us, that was nurtured in us, and continually reinforced again and again for us by others who were living that life in Christ. We've talked about this before. It comes from our family members, our friends. It happens with Sunday school teachers and church pastors even. Not to mention all those countless other people whose faith intersected with their commitment to the community. People like coaches and scout leaders and volunteers of all shapes and sizes. The very fact that we are even here today in this sanctuary for worship, that we are involved in the church's life, all of this says so very much about the heritage we received from those who came before 176 years worth of faithful people living in Christ. And by the same token, friends, we, 
Each one of us here are the legacies in the truest sense of the word. And it's something that, as Paul says, we should constantly remember with true thankfulness. But even more than this, and this is the key point, it's also something that needs to remind us of the legacies we want to leave for those who come after. That is the truth that is at the heart of Paul's second pastoral epistle to Timothy. Now, not only in this introduction, very first chapter of this second letter to Timothy, not only do we learn that Timothy's faith was the result of a legacy that was passed from generation to generation, grandmother to mother to son, we also hear Paul's admonition that Paul keep at it, to keep at the work, this faith and love rooted in Christ, guarding, he says, this precious thing that has been placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. In other words, this legacy is never to remain solely with us, but is something meant to be passed on to the next generations of our children and grandchildren. It's meant to be shared with our neighbors and friends who are struggling to live lives of integrity and purpose. And as a way of nurturing seekers and new believers who are filled up with this incredible and mysterious feeling of God's presence in and through their lives and who simply want, simply need, yearn to understand what that all means. You see, so often there's this ember of hope and faith that is just beginning to spark and catch fire within an open heart. It's up to you and me to fan into flame this gift of God, this gift that is in each one of us, not, and to do it not reluctantly or fearfully, but in a way that is bold and loving and sensible. It's all too easy, you see, to allow these flames of faith to, to die out. Just let that ember go dark, simply out of neglect. And that's not only true for our own faith, beloved, but also in regards to the faith we're called to encourage in others. And you know what? I say this, and I know it's easy to understand why that happens. I mean, after all, we do live in this world and culture that is actively trying to pull us from our faith. We are being so distracted. We are made to become so busy, to become desensitized by all the other things of life and living, both the good and the tragic, that we forget somehow what means the most. But anyone who burns wood for heat in their house will be quick to tell you that while it's a wonderful energy alternative, in fact, I'm sure they'll tell you that wood heat actually warms you twice, right? First when you cut and stack it, and then when you actually burn it. But while it's wonderful, this wonderful heat, the truth is, is that it only keeps your house warm. It only does what it's supposed to do, what it was created to do when you remember to stoke the fire. Because when the fire goes out, it gets cold very, very fast. See, what Paul is saying is that this flame of faith is truly precious 
but it can also be all too easily snucked out. It has to be guarded. We must always be attentive to it. We need to take the time. We need to make the time to stir up the coals, to keep it going in our hearts. It is only when we are rekindling the flames of our faith that we can even begin to fan the flames for others. Only in our faithfulness that we can create the legacy of a life in Christ to those around us and to those who will follow us. It's only when we fully embrace everything that God has placed within us, all those gifts, when we are living without being shy about those gifts, but being, and this is a message translation, bold and loving and sensible about them, that only then will we actually be living out of a full awareness of God's presence and in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. So that our children, so that our children's children, so that all those around us will be inspired somehow and in some way to seek a truly rich and honest faith for themselves as they live and grow. Something I must add here, that given all the tragic and violent news of this past week, the kind of things that are happening in our own community, right around us, it seems to me this is more important than ever. And none of this happens. None of it happens unless we're careful with this flame of faith that's burning within us. You see, you and I, as parents and grandparents and teachers and coaches and friends and ministers, first and foremost, we got to be about the business of tending the fires of our own faith. We need to be constantly rekindling the flame by means of prayer and by worshiping together with kindred hearts and finding time regularly and in a disciplined manner to be in meditation and in spiritual renewal. And in that regard, let us never forget that prayer and devotion are the cedar sticks of faith, friends. And if you want to get a fire going, Mr. Man, you can't go without them. There's no substitute. We're to be ever and always working on the fire, fanning the flame, sharing and living what we know to be true in faith, to proclaim that truth by our very lives in a way that says we mean it. Now, I know that there are times for most of us when it seems as though there is barely enough burning embers to even spark a flame, much less start a fire. But as Jesus said in the parable that we added this morning, a mustard seed doesn't appear to amount to much either. But then once you plant those seeds, in times it will become the greatest of shrubs. It becomes a tree. It becomes the shelter for the birds of the air. It becomes a source of food and nourishment. So it is for you and me. You see, we got those coals that are burning in our hearts, and we've got plenty of kindling that's provided through the help and guidance of the Lord. Eventually, given the fuel that we and God bring to it, a roaring fire is just, without question, going to start. Inside every one of us in this very room, friends, there's a flame. 
a sincere and vital faith given to us by God and which has been nurtured by a communion of saints in the past and continuing today. It's right here. The embers are glowing. But the question is, what are we going to do with it? How shall we make the fire with just a spark? And how will we share it with those around us and with those who follow us? I pray that each and every one of us here, each in our own way and each with our own gifts, will be rekindling that flame. So as that song goes, very soon all those around will be warmed up in its glowing, both now and in the years to come. Thanks be to God, who gives us the flame. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Rekindling the Flame. It was recorded during our September 29th service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, please know that we'd love to welcome you at one of those services. They happen every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord. Now, if you come, you can be sure that there will be joyous music and singing, time for prayer and reflection, and always interesting and often unpredictable ministry with our children, and always a true spirit of love and fellowship. I'd really love to have the chance to greet you there in person. Well, that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening. And I do appreciate your support of this podcast wherever you happen to be listening. So be sure and keep in touch. You can do that by a voice message on the podcast page. You can do that on Facebook or an email. However you do it, I'd love to hear from you. So until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.